It's Talking Twins and More with Nix and Naomi. Thanks to twinfo.com.au and nickyainley.com. It's Talking Twins and More, a multiple birth podcast with myself, Naomi, from twinfo.com.au. And joining me once again in the co-host chair is Tiffany from motherhoodunplugged.com.au. Tiffany, thank you so much for stepping in and helping out again while Nikki's unavailable. It's my pleasure, Naomi. Love coming and having a chat with you. Now, Tiffany, I saw on the Motherhood Unplugged Instagram, your boys have just celebrated their first 100 days at school. Yes, it was so cute. And I'm that crazy mom. I dressed them up and I made a lunchbox that was all hundreds themed. So they had sandwiches cut in 100 and hundreds and thousands biscuits and sprinkles on cupcakes. So um, I, I took it to that next level. And my mother-in-law tells me that I'm the mum that everybody hates. And <laughs> There will come a time where I don't want to do this anymore, but I'm still really enjoying the themed lunchboxes and um, getting in, getting them engaged and everything and dressing them up like little old men was great. So, yeah. Oh, they must get a kick out of that as well. I hope so. Either that or they're going to hate me when they're older and they see these photos of <laughs> what I did to them as children. That's funny. Um, so I'm excited to introduce today's guest to everyone, but I do have to warn you all that we're going to be talking about the loss of a baby today. So if that's something that you're not quite ready to hear, then please feel free to bow out and um, join us next week. But without further ado, I'd like to welcome Lisa, who's going to be sharing her journey to co- towards becoming a twin mum. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks very much. So Lisa, um, first of all, Let's um, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and where you're at now, and then we'll we'll pedal backwards. So I'm uh, Lisa. <laughs> um, I'm 42, and my husband just turned 37 yesterday. Um, an age gap, <laughs> and um, <laughs> we live in Brisbane, and we have um, two-year-old twin girls, um, Hadley and Parker. Love those names. They're gorgeous. Thank you. Yeah, I get a lot of, oh, that's interesting when people ask their names. But really? Yeah. I love them. Yeah, well, I do too. But, yeah, a lot of of people are like, oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, that's good. And um, so talk us through how you became to be a twin mum. So I didn't meet my husband until I was 36 and he was 30. So I was sort of, you know, already, as some would say, a geriatric. <laughs> and, um, and you know, I, I had the conversation, the, the kids and marriage conversation, like three months into our relationship because I was like, well, I don't have a lot of time to waste. Like if those aren't things that you want, then, you know, maybe this isn't the right thing for us. Anyway, he did. So we got... We got married um, after we'd been together um, for two years and I was 38 and then we immediately started trying for a baby. And I sort of, I had a bit of an inkling that things weren't quite right and I'd gone to the GP a couple of times and she said, oh, no, 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 it's fine. You're not trying for a baby yet. Once you start trying, then come back. So I think I waited about, oh, I think we tried for about five months and then I just went to the GP and told little Fib and said I'd been trying for six months and we got a, um, a referral for a scan and um, based on the scan, I had a few things going on. Um, I have Adam, I can never say it properly, I have Adam meiosis. Oh, right, yep. meiosis, Adam meiosis, I don't know. <laughs> um, and then I have, you know, fibroids and cysts on some ovaries and um, only ovulate from um, my uh, left ovary. The right ovary doesn't seem to do much. And, um, yeah, a few, few things going on. So got a referral to the um, fertility specialist and she said, oh, the best thing to do, you know, given your age, given you're 38, given you've, you've got a few things happening, um, we go straight to IVF. So I was to be called geriatric, though. I know. <laughs> I was just I know. Say that. Um, yeah. Before you met your, just stepping back before you met your husband, Lisa, you um, mentioned, you know, I was already a geriatric. I hate that term yeah. too. But, um, had anyone sort of mentioned to you or spoke or any doctors talked to you about maybe freezing your eggs or sort of that? Because I feel like that is something that women, once you get to a particular age, I feel like it's a conversation that we should be having more often that, you know, to preserve that fertility, that yeah, yeah, no, no one did. In fact, post 
once I sort of started down the path of um, IVF, and I should also say, actually, we did the, you know, the AMH blood test, and um, I can't remember what, what my level was, but I, I came under the um, low egg reserve. Yeah, I, I was the same. Yeah, and I felt really let down, to be honest, because, you know, from once I knew with my husband that he was sort of the one and, you know, we were going to go down that path but we were going to get married and whatnot first, I did go to the GP. You know, I've always had really, really painful periods and I did go to her and and I asked for the AMH test and I was fobbed off. Oh, no, 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 it's fine. You're not trying it. There's no point. And at no point was there ever that conversation around, you know, fertility or anything like that. And I, I did feel really let down, but I also, you know, it was my own fault too because I didn't advocate for myself. I just accepted what the GP said to me. Oh, it's normal to have painful periods. Oh, no, you're fine. You're still young. And, you know, and, and it's not about age at all really because, unfortunately, young people can have low ovarian reserve and fertility issues. Like, you know. I mean, you, your story is almost identical to mine and you don't know what you don't know until you've been through it and done it i mean i'm now you know i'm 46 and i'm well and truly i've been in menopause for several years now and that low ovarian reserve from the start um now i had endometriosis not the admin i can never say that word either (laughs) i had really bad endometriosis i kind of always had an inkling as well but yeah. in the end, it turned out that we needed to do IVF because of my low ovarian reserve, not because of the endometriosis, which I always thought was going to be the problem. Um, and, I mean, mine was very severe. You know, I've had at least 12 lots of surgery and all of that trying to get it under control so I could have a baby. But, yeah, it was actually the low ovarian reserve in the end that tipped yeah. us over the edge and into IVF. And I was geriatric, I think. I would have been very close to it. I think I was 36 or something. Yeah. It's a really sad um, reality, isn't it, that, you know, we talk about when people are trying to have a baby, but there's really not enough education in that time where you're not ready to have a baby yet, but, you know, maybe I want to make sure that everything's okay because I definitely do want to be a mum one day. And I definitely think there needs to be more education for women around that. Oh, 100%. They should be teaching, you know, that in schools, really. Like, I didn't even understand, you know, I have always had painful periods, but I also have really painful ovulation as well. And I didn't understand it. And it wasn't until we went down the path of fertility treatments that our doctor did a few um, cycles where, you know, she watched the ovulation. So we, you know, I found out that I'm a late ovulator. I don't ovulate on like day 12 to 14. Sometimes I won't ovulate until like day 16, but I still have, you know, like a 28-day cycle. So I'm really late in the game. And and I think it's so important, like we should know this about ourselves, shouldn't we? We should understand how our cycle works and, you know, instead of just putting it down to, oh, it's normal to have painful periods because it's actually not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Gosh. Yeah. So, so um, you did fall pregnant on IVF. We did, yeah. So we were really lucky. Um, we we did a round of IVF um, and I kind of went into it really blind, actually, and it was better that way. Like I didn't really understand and I, I'm kind of, I didn't research because I kind of was like, no, I'd rather just do it and not freak myself out. But so when they were talking about follicles and things like that, I didn't really understand. I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds good, you know, Um but we um, we got eight eggs, um, wow. yeah, and then um, we ended up with five um, embryos, which I was absolutely thrilled about. Like <laughs> I was like, five, that's great. Yes. Um, and we did a um, we did a fresh transfer, and um, and we got pregnant, and it was like a miracle. <laughs> wow. I can do this, you know, um, and uh, yes, yeah, so it was very exciting. You know, pretty nerve wracking too because um, you know, I'd, when you're in that sort of infertility path and you read stories and things like that, your eyes get a little bit more open to, you know, how bad things can be. And you know, not everyone just gets pregnant and, and has a baby, and that's you know it. So I was pretty pretty nervous. Had a scan at um, six weeks. Saw a little blob. Um, and everything sort of was going pretty well. Um, had the um, harmony test um, at about 11 weeks. 
and then had our um, 12-week scan. And I was really nervous. I was really anxious about um, having a chromosomal abnormality, you know, because of my age. I was, you know, 38. And um, so I was pretty, I was really nervous. And I had a, I just had this niggling feeling that something was going to go wrong. And, you know, people said to me, no, 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 it's fine. You know, it, everything's going to be great. Like it's normal to be nervous. And um, my family all, I'm from South Australia and my family all live in South Australia. And it just so happened that my parents um, were visiting from South Australia and, you know, I had some aunties and cousins and whatnot who were visiting as well. And so the day that we were having our 12-week scan, I said, well, let's do a little mini gender reveal, nothing crazy. I'll just, you know, pop a balloon and, you know, so I'd found somewhere and, you know, we were all set. We were going to go out to dinner and whatever else afterwards. And then we had the scan and, um, well, first of all, the doctor read us the results from the um, Harmony test and everything was fine. And he wrote the um, gender in a card. And the only thing I could find that day when I was looking for like a card in an envelope was a Christmas card. So he wrote it <laughs> in a Christmas card. And um, <clears throat> then we had the scan and, you know, the, the baby was there and, um, you know, bouncing around and, you know, long legs jumping all over the place. And the doctor said, oh, I just, I just can't really get a very good picture of his head. I just, I can't really see it properly. And, and I sort of looked and, you know, when you're looking at those scans, you, <clears throat> it's sort of hard, like you can't always gauge what's going on. And I was like, oh, I can kind of see. I said, oh, has he got a growth or something on his head? And, and he said, oh, I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, I'm going to refer you down, go downstairs and um, go to the specialist um, imaging clinic. So and I was like, oh. something wasn't quite right. He did. He, he did, but okay. he didn't give anything away. And I kind of wish he had because I I didn't, I, you know, in a, it's, and it's something that's really stuck with me. You know, we were just looking at this little baby bouncing around and, and I was just like, oh, well, if it's just a growth, whatever, just chop it off, it'll be fine, you know. Like I was, you know, really blasé about it. And we went downstairs and they, we went in straight away. And, you know, I should have twigged that, you know, something was up and I didn't. And when I, um, <clears throat> when she scanned me, it, it, and it stuck with me because at the time I was like, I was like, that's, awful the way she delivered the news she just said what did what did the doctor tell you and I said oh he just said he couldn't get a clear picture of the baby's head um so he just wanted you to check and she said well there's a problem with your baby's head his brain and skull haven't formed properly and he's not compatible with life <gasps> and I said oh oh are you sure and she said yeah sorry and I was like oh okay so so what do we do now? <laughs> she said, well, you go back to the doctor and he'll talk about your op options. And I was like, I was stunned. I was, I, I, no, my husband was with oh, me. God. And, and we were just, we were stunned. We, I, I didn't even cry and I'm a crier <laughs> normally. And I, I was just, we, were, we had to go back in the waiting room, you know, in, the, in our obstetrician's office and, you know, full of pregnant women and, and I was like, oh, my God, like, so so, it was so hard to reconcile because the baby was so active and bouncing around and then she just told us that, like, he wasn't compatible with life. So we went back in and he explained to us um, that the baby had um, a neural tube defect um, and it's called anencephaly. And so what happens, like, with neural tube defects, like, generally like the neural tube has to close at the spine and it closes at the top of the head so the brain and skull form and when it doesn't close at the bottom of the spine that's um usually like spina bifida um and then when it doesn't close at the top that's anencephaly and that's what our baby had so he's you know it was just one of those things like he's yeah his brain and skull didn't form it, he had there was zero chance of survival so you know, unfortunately, wow. they can't survive. <laughs> they, he, he would have been fine in the womb and quite often, like, babies can be born but they'll only live for a few minutes or maybe an hour or two or whatever. So it was it was so, I was just so blindsided. Like, I, I had prepared 
I had in my head for, okay, there's a chance of a chromosomal abnormality, you know, I'm older and, you know, it happens. But I was just so blindsided. I'd never heard of this before and it was like, it was as bad as it sounds, I'd almost wished that we'd had a miscarriage because then I wouldn't have had to be the one to make the decision because, you know, what did I do? Did I continue on with the pregnancy knowing the baby was never going to survive? And then from a selfish point of view, like I'm getting older, like that means, you know, there's more risk of, you know, will I be able to be a mother? Or then I had to make the decision to um, medically interrupt the um, pregnancy. And so the doctor said, oh, uh, I'm going away tomorrow. We're going skiing in Japan, but I can come in in the morning and we can do the procedure. And, and my husband's like, okay, we'll do that. And I was like, no, I, I can't. Like I need time to think about this and, you know, I want to be sure. Like I, I said, I can't. I need, a, we, I, need to, I need a second opinion. Even though when I look back at the scans, I can see for myself that he's, brain and skull like it, it's kind of like um, someone likened it to you know when you um bake a cupcake or something and it spills over the edge that's kind of you know what his poor little head looked like so I went home you know there was no gender reveal or anything we opened the um the card and we're having a boy and um and, I, and we went home and my whole family were there and they were looking at me and I said to my husband, I, I, can't, I can't, I just can't. You'd have to tell them what, what's going on. And I, I went to the bedroom and I stayed in there the whole night and I just cried and, you know, um, and I had that weekend to think about things and we went and had another scan on Monday and, you know, there was zero chance. So then we made the decision to um, medically interrupt the pregnancy because, at that point, I was 12 weeks and four days, so we went in and we had a um, we had a DNC, which was absolutely horrendous. I mean, everyone was so kind because I, I, I think that's the thing. I was so worried, like I didn't want anyone to think that I didn't want the baby or that I was like, you know, it was just it was awful. But the nurses and the doctors were so kind and everyone was so gentle and understanding and. You know, it's just it's just one of those things though. You, you walk out and it's like, well, I'm not pregnant anymore. Now what, you know? And then it's the, you know, this the self-doubt um, and was it my fault? Did I, is it because I'm old? Did I not eat enough green leafy vegetables? Like, you know, like I was taking my elevate. Like I don't understand. Like I was taking the folate. Like why didn't it, why did this happen? Like... So it was, you know, pretty rough. Um, we got a referral to a maternal fetal medicine specialist um, at the MARTA Hospital in Brisbane. And um, he um, he specialises in um, neural tube defects and um, consequently um, twin pregnancies, <laughs> like high-risk twin pregnancies. Um, his name's Glenn Gardner. You've probably heard of him. And um, we got an appointment with him and he, he talked to us and, you know, talked us through you know, neural tube defects and um, gave us some supplements that I should take just to make sure, um, you know, I'm someone who doesn't really absorb um, folic acid very well. Um, so I was on like a souped up amount. It's called Megafol. <laughs> um, so I was on like, you know, and then I took all these extra um, supplements. He, he recommended there'd been studies done in the UK about anisotol um, what you know can help prevent neural tube defects. So I was taking like this cocktail of things, um, and then he talked to us. You know, he basically said, "Oh, you know, you're at a greater risk for a chromosomal abnormality because of your age. So I would recommend that your remaining embryos you test um, before you transfer another embryo back." And I said, "Oh, okay." And I said, "You know, what about?" Um, you know, uh, what about twins? Like I, I would, you know, would you, could we could we transfer two embryos? And he said, I wouldn't recommend it. Don't do it. He said, you've got, you've got age, you've got, you've already had a baby with a neural tube defect. I, you, you're just adding an extra complication if you go down the path of twins. Stick to one embryo at a time. So when I spoke to my fertility doctor, she said, look, we've got, you know, five embryos, um, 
still in the freezer because we'd had, sorry, we'd actually had six embryos and we used one and then we had five in the freezer still. She said, but, you know, you defrost them, you test them and then you refreeze them and then you have to defrost them again when you use use them. You're going to lose some. And she said they're too precious. You know, we, we had such a good run. She said, let's do another full cycle of IBF and then we'll send those embryos for testing. So they can't test frozen ones. They can, but it can compromise the integrity of them okay. because you have to defrost them to test them. To test them. And then you refreeze them again. And then when you want to use it, you have to defrost it again. Right. So it's putting these poor little... Yeah. So I did, eight rounds. I did eight rounds of IVF, but I never had any Frosties. So, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So I never actually got to that stage of um, having of thinking about that. I love that yeah. you called the embryos Frosties, Naomi. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah Yeah. so so we did a whole round and to be honest I was a mess I was just in such a bad place I was I was so like distraught and you know I was not in the right headspace but I mean you would you know yourself Naomi when you're in that path you just have to keep going you just do and yeah I was just saying we had lost twins um, yeah. And I'd had to have a D and C and all of that as well. So when you were talking before, I was just having massive flashbacks. Of my yeah. own journey because, yeah, I, when you were saying how nice the doctors and nurses were and everything, I was the same. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right it helps. It's a big difference. Yeah, yeah, right to the point where right when it was the crucial moment and I made them stop and do another ultrasound just in case. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, are you, you sure? And they were so lovely. Yeah. 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 I, I couldn't, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think I appreciated just how nice they were at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lisa, I'm so um, glad it's not the right word, but I'm, I'm pleased that you had that, you know, that caring, nice um, yeah. people around you at that time, considering how sort of, abrupt and I guess somewhat cold the initial news was dealt to you I think um that was that was really harsh like really, I mean I specialize in that that's terrible and I don't know I mean uh, to be honest I hated her like I just kept thinking about that and it playing in my mind and like it wasn't her fault like the news was the news but it was the delivery and I don't know maybe we saw we've seen her we saw her again you know down the track and and I think maybe it was her own self-preservation she just has to tell it I don't know but yeah I yeah I I had some very ill thoughts of her I, I, I'm going to be completely honest here I had very <laughs> ill thoughts about the GP that I saw when I yeah. was going through mine as well and for me I think it was just a, a somewhere to direct my anger afterwards yes. so I I mean I don't know if it was unfair um what that I directed my anger to this lady but I certainly did I still yeah. do and she still practices in my GP clinic and I just literally refuse to see her yeah I, I mean, even look at her when she walks through the the clinic if I'm waiting in the waiting room <laughs> it's such a vulnerable time in your life and you know if you don't have the right care it makes all mm. the difference and mm. we had that unfortunate side of things but then yeah we were really lucky that we had so much love and care you know mm. and and from my fertility doctor as well you know I've sort of skimmed over a few things but she was devastated you know yeah. when I when I walked into her office you know after it had happened she just gave me the biggest hug and you know she was you know so it really helped that you know I had her on the team mm. so to speak but yeah, so, so we did another, another yeah, round. And was the next round? I was in a terrible... So so the first round of IVF was in January and then we um, we lost the baby. Um, we called him Henley, I should say. Aww. We called him Henley. That was always our boy's name. So we called him Henley. We lost Henley in April and um, they said, no, you need to... You need three months of, you know, taking these supplements. You need We need to get your um, folic levels up and take the inositol and three months and you know and and they were right to give me three months but it was torture like it was absolute torture you just walk around with that empty feeling and you know like I just I just want to be pregnant I just need to be pregnant again so we did another round in June 
and we had to send the um, the embryos away for testing this time. This time we got five eggs and we uh, we ended up with two embryos um, and we sent them away for testing and one came back very, very abnormal and one came back um, fine. So we Isn't planned science to... amazing? It's, uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> very um, This, you know, like what are they at that stage? One cell kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, just like, little blobs <laughs> yeah from, from one yes. cell they can determine yeah microscopic yeah. blobs at yes that, like, yeah <laughs> you, you wouldn't see them with the naked eye but um yeah so we had one one little frozen embryo and um we did a frozen um, embryo transfer and that was in july at this point and uh it didn't work and I completely fell apart. I had a complete and utter mental breakdown and, you know, took a week off work and just watched Foxtel movies for a week and had a complete and utter breakdown. And then um, I was like, okay, fine, we're just gonna, we're just gonna, you know, throw the dice and we'll just use the frozen embryos that we have. So um, we had to take August off because our fertility specialist was going on holidays. So I was, you know, I, I, I was in a really bad headspace. I was, you know, just so negative and so, like, is this actually going to happen for me? Am I going to be a mother? Is You know, and it, it's one thing, I guess, when you're dealing with IVF and, you know, you've got all of the unknowns with IVF like you're at the hands of science and you know is this going to work is it not but then on top of that you know we were still at a higher risk of having another baby with a neural tube yeah. defect and so you know we we would have to wait until you know 11 weeks would be the earliest they'd be able to tell if the baby had another neural tube defect so it was one thing I had to get oh. pregnant but then it was another thing like okay you've got more hurdles to cross you know so wow August off and my husband's like we'll just try ourselves we'll just try ourselves and I was like no there's no point it's absolutely pointless like it's not going to happen and um you know he's he's quite good he was very positive I, I was in this negative downward spiral I'm yeah. you know you know and the old saying of oh just relax and it'll happen no <laughs> relaxing's got nothing to do with it because I, I was to relax yeah, I was the same <laughs> I was so, like, I was just in such a bad headspace. And then, you know, um, so we tried naturally in August and then, you know, somehow, by some miracle, we got pregnant on our own. And I, I couldn't even believe it. Like, we, I, I was in Target one day moping around shopping, you know, and I just had this wave of nausea hit me. And I was like, oh, that's familiar. And then I was like, well, whatever, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> not going to happen. But the next morning it was like literally I was probably about, you know, I wasn't really sure, but I was probably maybe about 10 or 11 days post-ovulation. And um, I got up at like 5 o'clock in the morning because I needed the toilet. And I was like, I'm just going to do a test. And I did a test and a faint line came up. <gasps> and I couldn't believe it. I was like this can't be real. <laughs> and I ran it and I woke my husband up. I was like, can you see this? Can you see this? And he was like, yeah, I can. <laughs> and so um, we went and had a blood test on Monday, you know, um, and because I think it was a Saturday that it had happened. And um, went and had a blood test on the Monday and, you know, it came back positive, but it was 28, so it was low, the beta, the beta blood test. And I was like, Ooh. well, I mean, I don't really know when I ovulated. And, I, and the pregnancy tests were getting, you know, a bit darker. And um, so I had another blood test and I think it was like 120. And then I had a third blood test and it was like 800. And I was like, okay, okay. Well, horizon, yeah. it's this good. Is it's good. good. <laughs> this is looking good. Yeah, so, you know, had a... Um, had a scan at six weeks. There was the little blob. And I was like, okay, there's a blob and there's a heartbeat. Right, great. And, you know, and I must say, like, it was sort of a really mixed bag. Like I was yeah, like, so excited and happy to be pregnant, but I was absolutely terrified. I was a mess. 100%. Considering I was so a tested embryo. Yeah. Yeah. So 
so yeah, I was I was a, I was a basket case, and then my doctor said, "Well, look, I'm going away um, next week. Let me give you a referral form, and if you feel really anxious, book in and get a scan." So I got home and I booked the scan for the next week. Like I was like, so we booked in at the clinic um, to get a ultrasound, and I, at that point, I was seven weeks and four days, and. Um, we, I drove over from work and my husband was driving over from his work and it was, there was like a climate change protest going on and traffic was terrible and I was like running late and, you know, I was so frazzled by the time we got there and I was anxious about the scan and then stressed about the drive over and then I walked into the room and it was the ultrasound tech who told us about our son. And I saw her and I, 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 honestly nearly walked out the room I was like oh my god this is a bad sign this is a bad sign there's not going to be a heartbeat like I, oh I my can't. gosh and she remembered us and she said oh guys I'm really happy to see you here and that you're pregnant again and I was like uh-huh I just I couldn't talk to her so I laid down and she put the wand over my stomach you know when they put the the wand over your stomach and they kind of just move it around quickly and you know because she moved it I was like did I just, did she just move that really fast? And I see two of something. And then I looked at Rich and he was sort of looking at me and and then the, and then she said, guys, we might just do an internal because I think I saw two. And I said, okay, I thought I saw two too. <laughs> so I went to the toilet. We came in and she did the internal ultrasound and there was two little blobs. There was baby A sort of down the bottom and baby B was right at the top just hanging out right at the top and my husband was just like open mouth like oh my god and I was was like oh my god there's two (laughs) I was so happy and then then it comes the okay so there's two baby a was measuring right on time seven weeks four days and her well we didn't know at the time but they're girls but, but her heartbeat was 130 and um, she said, oh, baby B is a little bit behind. She's, um, she's measuring seven weeks one day and her heart rate's 108. So it's a bit on the low side. So, you know, sometimes it can be completely fine and then other times you might have a vanishing twin situation. And I was like, oh, for God's sake. Oh, <laughs> like, I can't. Like, don't be telling me this. And I was like, okay. So she's, you know, and this was a Friday afternoon. She said, let's just, you know, see your doctor next week if you do at any point have any bleeding you'll have to go to the pregnancy assessment center and I was like it's typical you get this amazing news and then you get a little like but something could still go wrong you know so I was sort of really on edge and you know then I had a scan um around eight and a half weeks when the doctor was back and they were there and and she was like well, someone took things into her own hands and got her twins anyway. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, apparently, <laughs> you know. Um, and then the two little blobs were still there and um, we had a scan. Um, she gave us a referral back to um, uh, Glenn um, Gardner for 11 weeks um, and that was the big test to make sure that everything was okay in terms of, you know, no neural tube defects. So it was a pretty hairy time. And to be honest, I actually ended up going on a um, pretty, a low-dose um, anxiety medication at that time mm. because, I, you know, I wasn't sleeping. I would I would wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and just, you know, mind racing and, you know. I think I need anxiety medication to hear the rest of this story. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was, you know, oh. it was pretty. And then we had the... Um, we had the nipped test at um, 10 weeks and I had a lot of problems with that. You know, everyone assured me it was fine because our girls were MCDA, so um, identicals. So um, they said, no, no, it's fine. You can do the nip test, um, you know, and, and that'll be fine. You'll, we will be able to get a, a result, you know. Um, and I had so many problems with that. Um, which added an extra layer of stress on, you know, we did the test at around 10 weeks and I didn't get the results from the NIP test until I was 16 weeks pregnant. Because oh, wow. I had to have um, two redraws because they couldn't get enough fetal um, sample 
And I was like, well, there's two in there. Like, how can you not get enough? Like, um, so it was pretty stressful. And, you know, there was talk of having to have an amnio at one point and whatever else. But, um, yeah, so we had the scan at 11 weeks and we got the all clear from um, neural tube defects. Oh, my gosh. It was the most stressful scan I've ever had in my life. And, you know, um, but there was their two perfect little round heads and, you know, both just swimming away in there and happy as clams and yeah we got the all clear and and then finally we got the all all clear all clear <laughs> um at 16 weeks and found out that we were having two little girls so um it was pretty it was pretty stressful up until that point and I hadn't told you know we told like my our parents and you know like a few cl- really close friends, but, you know, I hadn't told anyone. And, I mean, I was showing. Like, I, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was... Yeah, weeks with twins. Yeah. I'm sure people suspected, but no one sort of said anything. And, yeah. But, um, yeah, 16 weeks we finally got the all clear. And, you know, but it was one of those pregnancies where I never really relaxed because, you know, we got the all clear from the neural tube defects. We got the all clear from any chromosomal abnormalities but then it's like okay well you're having mcda twins and there's this 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 and this and this that can go wrong and so um i i mean i had to have someone come with me at every scan because you know i was having scans every two weeks which was great from an anxiety perspective like because it sort of helped like i got to see them so regularly um but you know every time i walked into the you know the ultrasound room it was like is today going to be the day when I get bad news? Is today the day where it's all going to fall apart? But we were so lucky. We had the dream pregnancy. The babies were measuring big from the get-go, little chunks, and um, and we had no complications whatsoever. Um, you know, m- my body was falling apart. I was exhausted <laughs> and the size of a whale. But, you know, um, you know, apart from I finished work at 32 weeks, um, because I just I just couldn't take it anymore. The back had given out. Standing hurt, sitting hurt. You know, my feet were so swollen. Um, and I, you know, I was on the iron tablets and things like that. And I had an iron transfusion at 34 weeks, I think. And and every but everything was going great. We were booked in to have them by C-section at 36 weeks and four days. And um, that was so that was um, 2020. And then you know, COVID. Oh, <laughs> COVID oh. <happened>. <laughs> so, something else to the stress. Yeah, COVID happened. And you know, my parents are in um, South Australia, so um, you know, I, that was really hard because you know, my my mum, who my mum is a twin mum, so I've got identical twin brothers. Oh wow! Yeah, and then oh. my mum's sister has um, identical twin girls. So you know, our girls were the third set of identicals. So and that's why it's know. not genetic. I know. Yeah. <laughs> some that. families are just twinsy families, aren't yeah. they? And I must so, say, uh, um, I can relate to you in the sense that I had a perfect textbook, perfect pregnancy as well. But even without your, you know, story in the first sort of 16 weeks, after that, the anxiety that you feel as a twin mum that every time you go to an appointment, they highlight everything that could go wrong. Yeah. And I think it just adds the anxiety, you know, yeah. even without having that backstory. It's just when yeah. I'm like, oh, I can feel that anxiety sitting there late yeah. waiting for the scan. This and is going to be the one yeah. <laughs> where, like, they told me that, you know, one's not growing. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. I mean, it's great having the scans, but it is um, you kind of live and live your life in two-week installments, don't you, like, living for the next scan. I don't know what it would be like, honestly, to have a singleton pregnancy or a pregnancy where you just have like maybe three scans the whole pregnancy. I don't I don't know what that would be like. <laughs> I don't think I'd cope. But um yeah, so we were scheduled to have them at 36 weeks and four days and you know COVID happened and you know my parents, you know, the, the country went into lockdown and my parents couldn't come and visit and you know I was pretty beside myself. Like, you know, you finally get to have a baby and, you know, things, everything's turned on its head. There's no visitors in hospital. There's no, you know, no one can come see your baby. You know, there's that lack of support. But, you know, I mean, it is what it is, right? 
So I went in, it was the Easter long weekend in 2020, and I went in to get my first steroid shot and the nurse said to me, oh, you know, how are you feeling? And I was like, crap. And she's like, why? What's wrong? And I was like, I just feel crap. I feel cooked from the inside out and I've had enough. And she said, oh, okay, well, let's take your blood pressure. And, you know, and, and my blood pressure was high. And she's like, well, your blood pressure is high. Let's do a blood test and a urine sample. And, um, you know, then it came back with some markers um, the blood test did for um, preeclampsia and having some liver issues. And I was like, well, that explains why I feel crap. <laughs> I don't get validated. And she said, okay, well, we're, we're going to admit you and um, we'll call your doctor. And then it turned out that my doctor, um, his daughter had gotten COVID. So he was in isolation. And so then I had to have a, um, a fill-in doctor that I hadn't hadn't met before. Um, and um, he said, oh, you know, you're scheduled to have these babies, you know, in, on Wednesday. And at this point it was a Sunday. He said, "So, but we'll probably look to have them tomorrow on the Monday instead. So I said, oh, okay. And to be honest, I was like, I wasn't even thinking about how I I was just so relieved. I was like, thank God I'm going to get them out. I just, I just want them out. Like it was so uncomfortable at that point. So um, we had the C-section moved up to the Monday and um, went in at um, around four o'clock and, um, and had the girls. So I was absolutely petrified and I walked into the theatre and I was just like, please let them be okay. Please let everything be okay. Like, please let it just go smoothly. And I was so scared of having, you know, the um, spinal block and, you know, and scared of the cesarean because, you know, it's a pretty big procedure. But I was really lucky. I had a really beautiful um, anaesthetist nurse and she was just so calming and, yeah, she was really wonderful. And my midwife came in and it was her day off, but she came in just to be there for the birth of the girls, which was really nice. So it was nice to have a familiar face. And, yeah, baby A was born at um, 4.28 and came out screaming. <laughs> and she was she was 6 pounds 14. Wow. So she, she was a little chunker. <laughs> and then baby B, who was like breech transverse, um, she came out still in her sack um, <laughs> at 4.30 and um, she was seven pounds eight. Wow. So they were like, they were big. No one could believe it. They were like, see, for MCDA twins, they're huge. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, that I felt justified as to why I had been so exhausted and like just, you know, such a whale. I was like, well, I had like, you know. Yeah, so two full-time babies in there. <laughs> an enormous placenta. The placenta was enormous I was like Jesus Christ <laughs> it was huge but um we, we were so lucky um the girls were completely fine um they came straight back to recovery with me and and back to the room I was a little bit worse for wear if I'm honest like I was pretty unwell um you know I had um a deranged liver from the preeclampsia and I you know had sky high um blood pressure and yeah it was pretty hard and I think that was one of the hardest things. Like when you were on these, um, you know, really helpful and informative, you know, Facebook twin groups and things like that, the advice is always with a C-section, get up and move around as soon as you can. Get up and walk as soon as you can. And I, I couldn't. I didn't get up. We had them on a Monday. We attempted, I attempted to get out of bed on the Tuesday and nearly fainted and vomited and blood pressure was through the roof and I couldn't, couldn't get out of bed. And it was probably, like, the most vulnerable I've ever felt. Like, I just wanted to be able to get up and move around. You know, my husband, who'd never changed a nappy in his life, was, like, doing all the nappy changes and, you know, trying to help feed the girls and, you know, um, it, yeah. And it was something that I really beat myself up about because I was like, well, everyone always says you have to get up and move straight away and I'm not getting up, you know, and it was... It was, it was really hard. Um, I, I've managed to get the catheter out and get out of bed on the Wednesday, but I was still, you know, pretty beat up. But, um, you know, every day it got a little bit easier and we, we got out on the Friday. But um, the girls, oh, they, they didn't really take to breastfeeding and I didn't really get a lot of support. You know, it was there was a breastfeeding clinic in the hospital, but 
um, there was only two midwives in there and there was six of us women in there and I was with twins and I maybe got five minutes of, I here, just put them like this and, and that was it. And, you know, and I was discharged and it even said, oh, unable to breastfeed, we'll seek help elsewhere. And I was like, that's pretty oh. rotten. Like in hindsight, like you, yeah, like a new mum, it's the middle of COVID, like I've got two babies and I can't breastfeed and you're just going to send me on my merry way. <laughs> You know, I'm recovering from a C-section. I'm recovering from being quite unwell and having liver issues. Your first time mum. Yeah, on your bike, girlfriend. Like, go Gosh, and sort it out. That's really unusual, isn't it? Because you often hear stories about, um, you know, the midwives and stuff trying to force breastfeeding and everything like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess, I mean, COVID was a, is a... Yeah, is a, you know, and that's it. They were just so stretched and... You know, it was so unprecedented. Like it was, you know, it was April 2020, so it was all new to us, and it was everything was kind of just a bit chaotic. And you know, it was unfortunate, but like Hattie, baby A, Hattie, she she would latch and she would feed, but baby B, Parker, she just didn't want a bar of it. So, you know, we did that. Um, I think until you're a first mum, you don't you don't really. Um, understand how um fraught with anxiety that first car trip home is <laughs> like you know? your husband drive yeah driving so slowly and i was yeah. like i think we're gonna oh, get and yeah, and trying to navigate these car seats and the pram. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know how all this works. You have to do it. I can't move. Like, um, yeah, and then and then we didn't have bottles. Like, I just assumed, oh, yeah, I'm going to breastfeed. It's fine. So we had no bottles, no formula. So, you know, we're, our first day home, you know, we're, like, driving to, like, chemist warehouse trying to find the formula that we used in the in the um, hospital and trying to find bottles and it was all, you know, <laughs> very stressful and, um, yeah, we got, we got the girls home and I ended up um, expressing um, breast milk for up until the girls were about four months old. Um, and when they were, when the girls were three weeks old, um, we got up for a nighttime feed. It was like 2 a.m. or something. And my husband said, oh, bit odd but I just changed Hattie's nappy and I looked like she had blood in her nappy and I said okay well have you got the can you show me and he showed me the nappy and it was it was very clearly a nappy she'd done a poo and it was full with blood and I was like okay is my baby internally bleeding <laughs> so we went up to the hospital and it turned out that the girls actually have a dairy intolerance and um, what happens is it just irritates the bowel and comes out as blood in the stool. And, but you know, it's pretty confronting to see a three-week-old baby, you know, with blood in their nappy. So the girls were on a um, special formula and um, and I went dairy-free and, yeah, and, and pumped for four months. And, you know, I did go to um, the, you know, the, the health clinics, and um, and I there were some really lovely midwives there. I know people get a lot of mixed results from them, but I was lucky enough to get a lady who had twins herself. She had boy girl twins, so she was really wonderful and really helpful. And she'd booked me in to do a um, a full day breastfeeding clinic, but it was in a month's time. And by the time it rolled around, I said, "Listen, the ship has sailed. I've, we're we're bottle feeding. It's done." <laughs> you know? It's done. So, yeah, we didn't the breast the whole breastfeeding journey never really got off the ground. But you know, I I, I was okay with it. It wasn't something that I really um uh you know beat myself up about. And you know, it was just one of those things. I will say that expressing milk is like oh, so hard. Like it just when you've already got newborn twins to add, it's just more work. It's, just it's like another job, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And, and I possible. probably regret, in a way, for sticking it to it as long as I did because yeah. it really didn't help my mental health, <laughs> you know. My husband had to go back to work after two weeks and so he really only had he had a week in the hospital with us and then a week at home. Mm -hmm. And then I was that was it. I was on my own. We were in COVID lockdown. You know, my family couldn't come and visit mm -hmm. from state. And so it was just mean the girls and the dog you know and expressing just just really added to the chore Absolutely. Of i mean 
I, I breastfed and Tiffany breastfed for, well, you know, I was, mine were 18 months when I stopped and everything like that. But I'm a huge advocate that the mother's mental health is so important when it comes to breastfeeding. I mean, they, everyone says fed is best, but I'm also, you know, the mother's mental health yeah. is, needs to be at forefront. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. And, it, and you know, and I, I pushed through because, you know, I wanted to do the right thing and the girls had the dairy intolerance and, you know, we were trying to get the formula right and, you know, and and it's those kinds of things that are the most stressful, I think, about being a new parent. Like you, you expect, like everyone says, oh, you're tired and you don't get enough sleep, but it's all the little random things that pop up like, Absolutely. you know, Oh, you have dairy intolerance and things like that. Yeah, like, 100%. That. <laughs> and that all takes time and trying yeah. to express and change your diet and yeah. everything like that. Like, you know, and you're recovering from major surgery. Yeah. You've got yeah. huge sleep deprivation, um, yeah. you know, and it's, yeah, the whole thing, that part of it is is very stressful, I must say. Yeah, and if it hadn't have been COVID, I probably would have persevered, you know, with the breastfeeding and, you know, got a private lactation consultant. But I sort of just gave up, to be honest, because it was like, oh, you can have a Zoom call. I was like, oh, I don't want a Zoom call. I need yeah. someone here. Like, I need someone to show me how to latch her, like, because she's just refusing. Like, you know, I, if it's a Zoom, like, it just wasn't the same effect. But I think, you know, that was COVID, right? COVID kind of... <laughs> ruined a lot of things for everyone you know Absolutely. so but it was yeah I think my family didn't get to meet the girls until they were four months old which is you know really sad That's hard, isn't it yeah 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 it was really sad and you know what I could have done with my mum like who yeah, was a twin mum herself you know the plan was she was always going to come up you know when the girls were born and help for a few weeks and you know I could have done with that help, but, yeah. you know whatever like so how's life now like good. the girls are good the girls were two in april um they are full of beans they are very um sassy little girls <laughs> they're they're um they fight a lot and i wasn't prepared for that i was like where's this twin bond like come on <gasps> like what are you doing why do you keep beating each other up but it's like yeah parenthood's a wild ride isn't it like it's all the things you know um Oh, are they are they delayed in talking and you know one's doing this but the other's not and you know it's um yeah it's all the things that you don't think are going to be stressful that are stressful I agree I often say that having twins is like having my own little science experiment yeah um yeah. Like a living science experiment <laughs> yeah, exactly and you'd really try not to compare but like so Hattie is you know doing quite well with her speech and talking and and Parker is you know, I think she's definitely behind, but, you know, at the same time, I'm like, well, she's her own person. If it was just, if she was just her on her own, I wouldn't worry. Exactly. You know, so she just has to go at her own speed, but it's, I guess it's going to be like that for their whole lives, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. 100%. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us um, and sharing your story because that has just been quite the journey. And, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate you opening up and, and sharing the ins and the outs of it all because it's been, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was, um, it was really nice to talk about it, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, thank well, you thank so you. much. Right, well, next week we'll um, be back in your ears with Talking Twins and More, a multiple birth podcast, and um, we'll have another new guest for you. So we'll listen next week. It's Talking Twins and More with Nix and Naomi. Thanks to twinfo.com.au and doublebub.com.au.